Let's uh, pray together as we prepare to look into the Word together. Our gracious Lord, our Heavenly Father, we appreciate you, all that you are to us and in us, through us and for us. We celebrate you today. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Spirit. Open our hearts. Teach us about yourself and about how to walk with you and to love others better through your word today. Help us to have submissive hearts to you and to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last couple weeks, Chris Rudell has been working through the Ten Commandments. Today we continue that series. The Ten Commandments are really the basis the foundation for our whole moral society and how we function in life. It was so important to, uh, to our Heavenly Father when He gave the Ten Commandments that He said, put these tablets in the ark. The ark was the visible earthly representation of God on earth. And all He wanted us to put within that ark was the Ten Commandments. They're a picture of his character, of who he is. They represent all that God is to us in these ten simple little commandments. I think we recognize that some in our society now and then when, uh, when we see, though we don't understand the Ten Commandments fully, we, we see the importance of them. Recently, the Tennessee Senate approved by a 27-to-1 vote a resolution that encourages every citizen of Tennessee to observe the Ten Commandments, teach them to their children, and display them in their homes, businesses, schools, and places of work. It would be wonderful if we could live by the Ten Commandments, as he's called us to. Well, the first two weeks, Chris covered the first four commandments. And those four commandments really summarize Jesus's commandment where he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first four are love God. The final six that we'll be covering in the next three weeks are loving one another. How do we love one another? What does it look like for us to love each other? So that will be the focus in the next three weeks as we look at what it means to love each other. But note the order. God began the Ten Commandments with four commandments about loving Him first. You see, that has to be the primary focus. That's where we begin. If we try to begin with loving one another, then what happens is we move towards one another out of selfishness. We end up using and manipulating each other. We end up not really loving each other well at all. But if we're firmly rooted and grounded in loving God first, and that is the foundation of our lives for each one of us, Then as we move towards each other, we have the ability to love one another and care and give out of the Spirit of God that's within us, that we're dependent on. Last week, our family had the privilege of being able to go to San Francisco and do all the touristy things in the city. And one of the things we did is ride the cable cars. And it struck me, as you look at a cable car, it's running on a track, but there's no visible means of of power, of support. And what a cable car does is it has some apparatus that reaches under the ground and grips onto the cable that's running under the ground. And when they pull back the big levers, it grips onto it and it pulls the cable car up these steep hills and uh, keeps it from going too fast down the hills. 
It's, their, it's the invisible source of power for these cable cars. And in the same way, our relationship with God is our invisible source of power for being able to love one another. So remember to begin with loving God, putting Him first. No other gods besides Him in our lives. So as we grip onto the love of God, we'll be able to keep moving on the track of loving others. Well, the two commandments we are going to cover today are honor your father and mother and do not murder. It's not fathers don't murder your children when they disobey you, though that would apply, I suppose. Um, but this is Father's Day. And it's interesting how God just worked this out. This wasn't our plan to have us be talking about honoring your father and mother on Father's Day. So this is a good time, as we look in the Word together, to consider your relationship with your earthly father. What is your relationship like? What does it mean for you to honor your father and your mother, whether they're alive or not? What does it mean to honor your father and mother? So let's begin there. And we're in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you'd like to turn with me there. We'll begin in verse 16 in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where it says, Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. And let me read also from Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul quotes this same commandment. And he says this in the first three verses of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, an earlier commandment did talk about how God will bless those who follow him and seek him. But this is the first one with a true promise to us. A promise that if we obey this, if we honor our father and mother, our days will be prolonged and it may go well with us on the earth. What does he mean by that? I think he's saying you'll have personal blessing in your life if you have an honoring spirit towards your parents. If your attitude is one of, of appreciation, of gratitude, of respect for your parents then you will experience personal blessing in your life. Your days may be prolonged. And that it may go well with you, I think this is another aspect of the promise that society will be blessed if the relationships within the family are strong and as they should be, if the children are honoring their parents. I think James Dobson and others have it right when they say that the family unit is really the foundation for society. And as the family unit goes, so society goes. And I believe that's the aspect of this promise. Now, we do know this is a general promise because we probably all know children who have honored their parents and maybe haven't lived a long life. But I think it's, it's this principle of blessing that comes to us. Those who are... Uh, dishonorable to their parents, who are defiant, who go their own way, do their own thing, end up in destruction in their lives. But those who have a spirit of submission, of honor, tend to live a long and blessed life. And society is blessed as well. 
This is true throughout history. The Old Testament talks about Israel. And one of the things it says in Ezekiel chapter 22 as to why Israel had to go into captivity is that the children were no longer honoring their parents in their society. It's true in our society, I believe. We've gone in the last 20, 30 years from bumper stickers that say, question authority, to ones that say, defy authority, to what, I haven't seen one of these, but it would probably be the spirit of our age today, is just ignore authority. Don't even pay attention to it. Authority doesn't matter. Who cares? And especially your parents' authority. My mom taught school for a number of years, then stepped out to raise six kids and and then went back to teaching after about a 20-year hiatus. And she said it was amazing the difference, and I'm sure many of you teachers could say the same thing, that it used to be about 10% discipline and 90% teaching, and it's much closer to 70% discipline and 30% teaching now. Why is that? It's because of the breakdown of this authority in the family structure this defiance that's allowed to live on. So there's not the honoring of the parents in the family. Although it's really interesting. Listen to what Martin Luther wrote 500 years ago. That is the way things go in the world now. As everyone complains, both young and old are altogether wayward and unruly. They have no sense of modesty or honor. They do nothing until they're driven with blows. And they defame and depreciate one another behind their backs in any way they can. God, therefore, punishes them so that they sink into all kinds of trouble and misery. Neither can parents, as a rule, do very much. One fool trains another. And as they have lived, so live their children after them. Things haven't changed all that much, have they? Then he says, Why do you think is the world now so full of unfaithfulness, shame, misery, and murder? It is because everyone wishes to be his own master, to be free from all authority, care nothing for anyone, and do whatever he pleases. So God punishes one knave by means of another. When you defraud or despise your master, another person comes along and treats you likewise. Indeed, in your own household, you must suffer ten times as much wrong from your own wife, your children, or your own servants." So our problem with authority is not so new. It's been a spirit of the age ever since the fall. And that's why Jesus, why the Father and and Jesus remind us, command us to honor our father and mother. Why is this so important? Why is this the first commandment about loving one another? Well, because I think parents are how physical life is passed on, but also how spiritual life is passed on. We need to listen to our parents. We need to have honor them so that we can learn from them what it means ultimately to honor our Heavenly Father and to submit to His authority. When my wife and I teach parenting classes, that's one thing we like to emphasize. Help your, par- help your children learn to honor you, to respect you, to treat you with respect. Because as they learn to respect you, they will be able to transfer that to their Heavenly Father and respect Him and follow His authority as well. Our parents are our very roots, and if we cut ourselves off from our roots as a tree, we wither and die. 
So he says, begin there. You want to learn how to love one another? Begin by honoring your parents. Make sure your family relationships are strong and good. That's the beginning point. One note. All of us have sinful parents, don't we? Even Jesus had sinful parents. And yet God knew that when he made this commandment. Our parents have all failed us in certain ways. They've all done us damage in certain ways. Some more extreme than others. I don't deny that. Some of you have suffered abuse and things at the hands of your parents that uh, is inexplicable. It's horrible. It's wrong. And yet God knew all that when he said, honor your father and your mother as the foundation for society. God knew all that when he gave you the father and mother he gave you. So the question becomes for all of us then, whatever parents we've been given, what does it mean for us to honor our father and mother? What does that look like? If it's so important to God, we need to know what it means, what it looks like. Well, the word for honor is one that in the Hebrew has the idea of giving weight to, placing significance upon, seeing this person as weighty, as impressive, as leaving a big wake in your life. Picture a big boat leaving a big wake, as weighty, as impressive in your life. That's what this means. Like when you receive criticism from someone, don't you kind of evaluate the person, the weight they have in your life? If it's someone you really don't respect very much, you don't care about very much, then you take lightly what they've said to you. Maybe before the Lord you say, well, is this true? But really, you take pretty lightly what they say to you. But if it's someone very important in your life who has a lot of weight, then you weigh very heavily their criticism. You take it at as being much more important in your life. You don't take it lightly. So what does it mean practically then to honor your father and mother? I want to look at a couple of passages just briefly. One is in Matthew 15. <coughs> in Matthew 15, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and he quotes this very commandment. Verses 3 through 6 Pharisees are talking to Jesus and saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... Whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Notice the scenario here. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees deny the very commandment of God. So here Jesus confirms this commandment, honor your father and mother. And he says, the way you do this is you say, well, mom and dad, you know, I know you're in need. I know you uh, financially aren't doing very well, but hey, what I've got, I dedicated to God, which in their culture, 
if you dedicated something to God, a lot of times you would give part of it to the church, but you would keep the rest for yourself. It was a way of saying, oh, it's dedicated to God, so you can't get it. I'm going to keep it for myself. And it was a way of avoiding fulfilling this commandment. An implication of this is that, one, the commandment's still important to Jesus in the New Testament. And two, part of honoring our father and mother is, I think, looking for their needs and seeking to meet their physical needs if they have them. If they have uh, struggles financially, being willing to help them out financially. If they need a place to live, perhaps, I don't think this is an across-the-board statement, but perhaps it may mean taking them into your home to give them a place of support and care. I realize that's a very difficult choice at times. But at the same time, I've known incredibly godly men and women who have chosen to do that, and God has blessed them richly as they've sought to minister to their mothers or fathers who are in need. So part, at least, is providing for them physically, for their physical needs. That's part of honoring, if they have that need. Then turn with me to Exodus chapter 21. And in Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 17, it says this, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And then verse 17, And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. These are strong words. A child was to be put to death simply if they cursed their father and mother. Now, that word for curse is the opposite of the word to make heavy or to, to take as important. It's a word that means really to take lightly. To take so lightly, you just want something bad to happen to you. You curse them. You say, I hope, I hope this terrible thing happens to them. Or just to ignore them and not consider them as important in any way at all. To neglect them is, in Deuteronomy... A reason to be killed, to be put to death, if you dishonor your parents in that way. So I think what he's saying here is to honor your father and mother is to not treat them lightly, to not to speak ill of them, to not wish evil upon them or curse them. To honor is to wish the best for them, to speak well of them, to consider them as very significant in your life because they are. We can't get away from that. No matter what they've done to us, they are still significant in our lives and they've impacted us and affected us in profound ways. Here's what Martin Luther again says about what it means to honor our parents. You are to esteem and prize them as the most precious treasure on earth. In your words, you are to behave respectfully toward them and not address them discourteously, critically, and censoriously, but submit to them and hold your tongue, even if they go too far. You are also to honor them by your actions, that is, with your body and possessions, serving them, helping them, and caring for them when they are old, sick, feeble, or poor. All this you should do, not only cheerfully, but with humility and reverence, as in God's sight. He who has the right attitude toward his parents will not allow them to suffer want or hunger, but will place them above himself and at his side 
and will share with them all he has to the best of his ability. You may ask, well, yeah, but when does this end? When, would, when should we stop honoring our parents? Clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Are we to obey our parents, whatever they say, all our lives? Well, I don't think so. Genesis 2.24 says, uh, A man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So there is some change in the relationship upon marriage. You are no longer under their authority structure. So when you become married, at that point... You don't obey them anymore, but you are still to honor them. You see, the commandment has no end. But honoring them after you're married does not mean obedience. It means more of the other things we've talked about. Respect, caring for them when they're in need, seeking to do what you can to, uh, to bless them and show them respect and kindness and honor. It doesn't mean that you're to obey them if they push you to disobey God. Obviously, you obey God first. That's why those commandments come first. You always put God first. And if they're leading you into something or encouraging something that is ungodly, then of course you disobey at that point. And it doesn't mean to honor your father and mother. It doesn't mean you can't be angry at them. It doesn't mean you can't be honest about the things they've done to you that are harmful, that hurt. It doesn't mean you can't face the reality of how they've hurt or abused you. Or that you have to let the abuse continue. It means to, as John Calvin put it, treat them with reverence, obedience, and gratefulness where you can before the Lord. But it may look different for each of us. And that's why you need to wrestle before the Lord what it means for you personally to honor your father and mother, to look for what you can that was good and appreciate that. And in your heart, not curse them. Even when you can get angry, even though you get angry at times with what they may have done, but in your heart you don't curse them, but rather you wish God's goodness upon them and you seek to appreciate with gratefulness what they have done for you. I have a friend, a good friend, whose father is in prison today for the terrible things that he did to her and to others. And we've spent hours wrestling with what it means for her to honor her father. There aren't easy answers to that. But one of the things it's meant for her is to continue to give her anger to the Lord, to not wish ill upon him, to pray for him and pray for God's goodness upon his life, God's blessing upon his life. To honor him for her has meant continuing to keep contact with him and write letters that are often confrontational to help him grow out of respect and honor for him. For her, it has even meant, and this may sound dishonoring, but I think it's very honoring. It's even meant writing the parole board and say, you know, I don't think my father's ready yet. He needs more to happen in his life before he's ready to get on the, out on the streets again. He will do more damage if he doesn't. And you can write a letter like that to a parole board very respectfully and honoringly 
if your heart is really there for the good of your father. And I respect this woman tremendously for how she's done that. For you, I don't know what it looks like. But I encourage you to wrestle with what it means to honor your father and your mother. And today of all days, to think through what you can appreciate and can be grateful for with your father. Let me expand this a bit, though, because I really think as Paul and Jesus take this commandment into the New Testament, that this commandment, the foundation of it, really is honor your father and mother, but even more than that, it's honor authority as God has placed in your life in all its forms. Some other authorities in your life, perhaps, besides just your family environment. How about your work environment? How about the government in which we live? How about the church in which you function? You see, I think Paul had in mind this commandment when he wrote things like Hebrews 13, verse 17. Let me read that to you. He says, Obey your leaders, speaking of the church now, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And in 1 Timothy where he says, The elders who serve well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Honor them, he says. You see, I think he has that in mind as as those whom he has placed in authority over you in the church. Not that you obey everything, but that you honor and respect your spiritual leaders, your spiritual fathers who have led you to the Lord and influenced you and helped you grow in Christ. Ephesians 6, Colossians then takes it to the area of work. Now, in this time, they didn't have employer-employee relationships quite like we do. What they did have is a slave-master relationship, but it wasn't like we tend to think of slave-masters. It was more of an employer-employee relationship. And in those contexts, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul says, honor, respect those who are your masters over you. And I think he said, and he says, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. So I believe in your work context, we need to ask ourselves, do we honor, do we show respect to those who are placed in authority over us in whatever kind of work context we are in? And then in, in Romans chapter 13, Paul expands it into the government context. And in Romans 13, he says, this, if I can find it here. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. He says, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Again, you obey God first. So where the government tells you to do something that is against God, you must disobey the government and obey God first. But in other areas, though you may disagree with some things, though you may not like some of the things our government does, we are told to submit. That's part of honoring your father and mother, I believe. That's the application in a broader perspective. 
In the book of Deuteronomy, as, we, as later in the book, it shows how everyone must submit to authority. It tells judges in that day that ultimately you're under the authority of God and justice. You must serve justice first and not yourself. Even the king is told, you are to write out the entire law by hand and then follow its ordinances. As a reminder to the king that you're under another authority, the word of God and not your own. So the question as we look at our own hearts today and consider this commandment, honor your father and mother, is where's your heart ultimately? Do you have a defiant heart that resists authority or a heart that's willing to subject yourself first of all to God and then because you trust Him, you're willing to honor those in authority over you and especially and first and foremost, your parents. This Father's Day, can you choose to focus on the blessing that your Father is to you and show Him honor for what is good, what He has done that is good? So that's the first command, commandment today, honor your father and mother. The second one we want to look at is Deuteronomy 5.17. You shall not murder. This just means don't kill. Okay, <laughs> we're done. No, <laughs> this commandment has been misinterpreted often to mean you cannot take human life, period, in any form, in any way. Well, in the Old Testament, there's at least five words used for taking human life. And some refer more to taking life in warfare, some in capital punishment and other things. This one is specifically used for taking innocent life, either on purpose, out of anger, rage, or choice, or through negligence, by accident. But it means to take innocent life, whether intentional or accidental. And the reason for this, why this is so important, why we must not take human life, is stated probably most clearly in Genesis 9, verse 6, where it says, Whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. You see, the reason why human life is sacred and why we must protect human life is because every human being was created by God, first of all. And secondly, he was not only created by God, but he or she was created in God's image. Now, this means a variety of things, but I think primarily it means that that person is a representative of God upon earth. They may not be living it out. They may be very evil people in some ways. You may not take their life because they're made in the image of God. In our society, we've really lost the sacredness of human life, haven't we? You flip on the TV and within one night you can watch 20, 30 murders. You flip on the evening news and you hear about a number of deaths. And after a while, we become hardened and we've, we've lost that sacredness of human life. In general, we become hardened. And in our society recently, there's been this dangerous move, it seems to me, in our values just in the last 20 or 30 years. A dangerous move from the idea that human life is sacred in all its forms, toward 
ideas that are penetrating our culture like animal life is really more sacred than human life. To take eagle eggs is a much bigger fine than, than uh, well, there's no fine for aborting a child. Where have we gone? Where are our values moving? Another dangerous move in values is this idea that, that human life isn't really sacred anymore in general. It's only productive human life that is valuable. So someone who's old can't be productive anymore. They don't really matter. So let's, you know, if they want to die, let's have assisted suicide laws. Let's let them, let's let them die. Let's not take care of them. Babies in the womb, they're not productive yet, so they don't really matter, so they don't have value either. And as that continues, deformities and, and all euthanasia, these things will just expand as that value expands in our society that we've lost this sense of sacred, the, the sacredness of human life, no matter where it is or how productive it is, to only human life that's productive is valuable. That's dangerous. It's a dangerous movement. And, of course, the greatest reflection of that is our support in our country for abortion. Probably the most heinous violation of this commandment today in our culture, where a million and a half babies are aborted every year in this country. It's dangerous. Who could be more innocent than them? Now, let me say that I know there's some here who have had an abortion, who have maybe have participated. God can forgive you. That's why He died on the cross. That's why Jesus died, is to take those sins and, and offer us forgiveness and life. But it's a heinous enough crime, just as much as pride is, or arrogance, or any other sin in our lives, that Jesus had to die for it. And so we need to cling to the cross if you fit into that category, just as all of us do every day, no matter what we've done, because we all need His forgiveness every moment of every day. A couple questions usually come up when we're dealing with this whole category of taking, taking human life. What, is it, what does that mean, do not murder? What does it look like? One of those questions is always capital punishment. Does that mean we shouldn't have capital punishment? Does it mean we should? What, is it, what does it mean? I just want to make a couple of statements about that. It's been debated throughout the history of the church, and so you need to come to the, your own conclusions. But I want to just give you some thoughts from my own heart, my own thoughts. Um, I want to turn to Numbers, back to the book just before Deuteronomy. Numbers 35. A passage that's really influenced my thinking on this. Numbers 35, starting in verse 30, says this. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Moreover, you shall not take ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall not take ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to live in the land before the death of the priest. Notice these next two verses. So you shall not pollute the land in which you are. For blood pollutes the land, and no expiation can be made for the land for the blood that's shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. 
And you shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. As I read that, what he's saying is, when there's innocent murder, innocent life taken, that that, in some sense, pollutes the land, brings guilt upon the land. And I don't know quite how to explain that or understand that, except that there is guilt that's incurred And unless that, and he says, the only way that that can be dealt with is through the death of the one who committed the murder. Seems to me a support for capital punishment. Then you turn to Romans chapter 13, where Paul is talking about the life of uh, uh, the government and how we are, again, to respond to government. I read from it a few moments ago. In verse 4, it says, The government is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. It says the government bears the sword as part of the authority of God. What's a sword for? To take life, as I understand it. So it seems that Paul is saying that the government, not individuals... But the government has the authority to take life when a life has been taken innocently, when this commandment has been violated. It seems that what he's saying here is human life is too sacred. Being made in the image of God, it is too sacred, too valuable to not have capital punishment. When a life has been taken a life must be taken in response because human life is too valuable. Now, those are just a couple of thoughts, and I know some of you will disagree, but I I hope you'll consider the issue and look at it from a scriptural basis, and this commandment stirs that up. Another issue that this commandment always stirs up is the whole idea of warfare. Well, how should Christians look at warfare? Should we be pacifists? Life shouldn't be taken? Should Should we say it's okay to take life in warfare but not otherwise? And again, this is a huge issue. Augustine, you may have read his just war theory. Um, A couple of thoughts, again, and I hope you'll, you'll search it further on your own if it's a question in your mind. This has been debated throughout history. But it's interesting to me that in Deuteronomy 20, one of the things it says is it says, it describes, I think, the application of this commandment to warfare. And it says, when you're in war and you go to attack a city, offer them peace. But if they refuse peace, then kill only the men. Do not kill the innocent civilians. Some good principles there. Offer peace. Try to avoid killing if you can. But if you can't avoid it, don't take the life of innocent civilians. That seems pretty clear to me from Deuteronomy 20 that that's what, what, how we ought to approach warfare. It's okay to defend your country, to serve your country. It's a wonderful thing to defend your families and the freedoms that you have. But be fair, be just, be kind. Do what's right. You see, the theme of this whole commandment, really, do not murder, is not just don't kill, but it's a positive theme of protect life. Do what you can to make sure life is enhanced, protected, guarded. 
And here's where we really get to our application. I doubt if any of us, I hope none of us are planning to murder somebody. Um, But what does it mean for you and I to protect life where we are? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I say to you, if you even curse your brother and call him a fool, you violated this commandment. Protect life. Have Have a respect for life that says, I won't even call another created human being who's made in the image of God a fool. I will respect who they are. I will honor the fact that God created them. In our society, life means nothing in many ways. But this commandment says, honor life, respect it. Don't even speak against life. There's an interesting verse in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8, where it says this. Deuteronomy 22, 8 says, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet or a fence on your roof that you may not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls from it. See, in their culture, they lived on the roof a lot of times. They would go up there and, and uh, enjoy the day. And he says, you need to build a fence around it so people don't fall off your roof when they go up there. In other words, protect life. Have an attitude of, I want to do what I can to protect the lives of my family and others around me. How do we apply this today? All kinds of ways. You should have good brakes on your car. You should drive defensively to protect the lives of your family and others. You should shovel your walk when it snows so no one slips on the snow and ice and gets hurt. (laughs) Every time it snows and I shovel the walk, I think of this. Do not murder. Why? Because he wants us to protect life. And have an attitude of honoring life and protecting it. You should have a porch light on when you know people are coming so that people will see where they're going and won't get hurt on your walk. You should wear seat belts and on and on and on. Practical ways in which you think of honoring life, taking care of life, protecting life as God has created it. You see, God has called us to protect life. And in Deuteronomy, I won't take time to read the verses, but there's interesting verses about if you're going to get the eggs from a bird, leave the mother bird. Take only the eggs. See, be a good steward of even our environmental life. There's even a verse that I think fits under this commandment, and you may think I'm really bizarre that I say this, that says, a man shall not wear a woman's clothing. It's an abomination to God. You may say, how does that fit under do not murder? (laughs) I think it fits under it because God wants us to honor life as he created it and not pervert what he has made us to be. And I may be stretching it here, but I think when we pervert what God has made us to be, and in fact, when we become disgruntled and say, God, I don't like the way you made me. I don't like the nose you gave me. I don't like the personality you gave me. I don't like how you made me, God. In some ways, we're violating this commandment because we're not honoring and protecting life as God created it to be. He made us the way He wanted us. He made life the way He wanted it. Now, I agree, sin has perverted everything. But we need to honor what God has made.
This morning we've covered a lot. And we've only been able to just touch upon these commandments. There's so much there. I hope I've answered some questions. I probably have stirred up more. I encourage you to wrestle with the Scriptures, think it through, and come back to the foundation. Ask yourself, how am I honoring the authorities in my life, my boss, the government, my parents? Am I, and am I truly honoring and protecting life as God has created it, including my own? as He has made me. And notice again that the basis for loving others and honoring life is first that we love God. He's our Creator. He's our Redeemer. And out of our love for Him, we honor what He has made. In these two commandments, we're merely reflecting the character of God. Those tablets that were put in the ark are there because they reflect the very nature of God. And as His people, we're to reflect that in our relationships with one another, first in our family, and then in all of society, as we deal with one another and honor one another and protect one another. Remember what Cain said to to God. He said, Am I my brother's keeper? I think God's answer is yes. I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. So let's live that way. Let's pray. Thank you for creating life, Lord. Thank you for creating us. Help us to honor life as you've made it to be and help us to honor our parents. Thank you for the fathers you've given us on this Father's Day. We thank you for them. We acknowledge their warts, their weaknesses. But at the same time, we give you praise for how you have used them in our lives for good. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.